Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. Like camouflage fat bikes with lawnmower engines. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today on the podcast, we are live on location in Las Vegas, Nevada for Interbike 2017, and I am joined by our bike editor, Noah Bodman, to talk about the current state of Interbike, aka the weirdness that is Interbike. We discuss the most intriguing bikes we rode, the most interesting products we've seen, and the most bizarre, unbelievable stuff to grace the trade show floor. And so, without further ado, here is the latest, greatest, and strangest of Interbike 2017. Hey everybody, greetings from lovely Las Vegas. Uh, We are live here following day three of Interbike. This is the largest bike show in North America, and this is the first Interbike that I have actually ever attended. Uh, I'm here with our bike editor, Noah Bodman. This is not his first Interbike. But Noah, it is sort of impossible to talk about Interbike this year without sort of discussing the current state of Interbike and like the role and relevance of trade shows in the digital era, I would say. Um, What's going on at Interbike this year? Yeah, so uh, Interbike, it's kind of small this year. There's... Uh, well, we're here, both of us, <laughs> and there's a couple other people here. Uh, there's there's like at least three or four companies here. <laughs> uh, no, Interbike it's it's a it's a bit smaller than last year, which was a bit smaller than the year before that, which was a bit smaller than the year before that. So it's hard not to notice a gradual decline and the the thing that's maybe the most noticeable this year is just that there's a lot less attendees uh there's less people from shops there's less people i guess from the media so it feels a little empty this year and the big news is that it's moving to reno nevada let next year it's been in las vegas for quite a few years uh, as long as I can remember, and now it's moving to Reno. So I've been taking an informal poll as to whether that means Interbike's going to get a kickstart next year and be back up and running and everybody's going to be interested in it again, or if it's going to be the final nail in the coffin and that's going to be the end of it. Yeah, and i got to say, I mean... As a first-time attendee, I am not necessarily the biggest fan of Las Vegas, but I gotta say, like, Interbike in Vegas seems to work pretty well. Um, We were at the outdoor demos the last two days, and there's some really good riding around Bootleg Canyon, and we were impressed with the trails, Um, and so it is... And then just the convenience of um, getting to the trade show at Mandalay Bay, it all kind of works. And so just seeing this, seeing this operation on a logistical level, it's certainly not obvious to me that 
things will automatically get better in Reno. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, the trails in Bootleg Canyon, I think, are a ton of fun. Uh, before I ever started going to Interbike, I've been down there riding the trails. And, I mean, as far as the show being at Mandalay Bay, I can't really speak to that. I think Jonathan's been paid off by Mandalay Bay just to name drop <laughs> the convention center in this podcast. But uh, they are paying me zero. It is a very nice hotel. I recommend you all stay there. It's an excellent value, and uh, you should go to all the restaurants. <laughs> um, we're staying in the Luxor. It's uh, <laughs> so it's it's a little more affordable, but it has a giant spotlight at the top of a triangle. It does, and you know you can't beat that. You know what I like most about that? It reminds me of Kanye West's ultra light beam. I have no idea <laughs> what you're talking about, but I'm I think this is some sort of pop culture reference. So, uh, anyways, the long and short of it is, I flew to Las Vegas for $49, yeah. and I'm not going to be able to fly to Reno for $49, and I'm guessing that there's a lot of other people in this country that can also fly to Vegas for really cheap, but not to Reno for really cheap. Yeah, and I'm in the same boat. I mean, tickets to Las Vegas are cheap for me. It will definitely be more expensive to fly to Reno. But one of the things that we are hearing is that this ought to be cheaper moving to Reno. It ought to be a much more affordable situation for exhibitors. And so the the real question and sort of wager here, I think, is that maybe by making this more affordable for the exhibitors, we will actually get more exhibitors at the show. The other thing I've heard is that Reno does not have a shark reef which Mandalay Bay does. They have a giant fucking shark tank with, like, I, I don't know what kind of sharks in it. I think they're just, like, huge sharks. And that's a great value. So if you are staying at Mandalay Bay, you should go to the Shark Reef Tank because it is easily the finest experience in Las Vegas. We highly recommend it. I haven't been yet. Uh, I don't know what he's talking about. I think Mandalay Bay has clearly paid him off. But, um, but Jonathan, I have a picture of him taking a picture of the sign for Shark Reef because he was so excited about it. That's true. Tomorrow, Thursday, <laughs> we're skipping the show. We're going to Shark Reef. I think it's called the Shark Aquarium. Are you sure there's a reef? I'm pretty sure it's a reef. It's the it's I I think it's the last remaining reef on the oh, planet. I just saw a thing that Al Gore had like destroyed the last remaining reef in Australia or something like that. Oh man, um, does that get cut? No, no, uh, it doesn't. Um, it's too late to cut any of this. Um, so yeah, Reno, it, and I mean again as a first time attendee of Interbike, I gotta say uh, walking onto the showroom floor today, the craziest thing about Interbike is that it seemingly should just be called e-bike. Um, that, that's, you can't under, understate that really, or overstate that I should say. Um, it is a ton of e-bikes on the floor. It is like an e-bike convention. I would take a wager that there are more e-bikes on the floor than uh than pedal bikes i think that's right 
and and this has been like a gradual trend that we've seen over the last few years. E-bikes have come on pretty quick. I'd say maybe the first ones were three or four years ago that we really saw, at least in any kind of uh, production-ready, like non-hobbled-together kind of form. And and now they're everywhere. Now, like half the trade show is e-bikes, and. I mean, from a commuter perspective, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. If I want to get to work and not be super sweaty when I get there, yeah. then the e-bikes make a ton of sense. Yeah. Uh, from a mountain off-road perspective, that gets a little more complicated. Um, but there are a lot of those on the floor too, and so. But those are the new companies. When you look around the trade show floor, Specialized isn't there, Trek isn't there, Giant isn't there, Kona's not there. Yeah. Like those are all companies that they've got their brand and they're established, and they don't really need a trade show like this anymore to to keep up their their brand approval or whatever you want to call it. But these e-bike manufacturers, they're they're kind of coming out of nowhere. So they're doing everything they can at these sort of trade shows to to push their products. Yeah, and I think that's that is the big takeaway. Like I I found myself thinking today like if aliens came down to Interbike, certainly if they came down with the perspective of like, oh, apparently here's where like a bunch of mountain bike stuff is happening, they would just assume that mountain bikes all have like lawnmower engines in them but if you look at this from the point of view of the established mountain bike companies have just found that it they don't need to be here then yeah what Noah is talking about is so what you have instead are all these newer companies or or older companies that are now trying to push into this category of electric bikes that's what is at this show Noah what Jonathan who, they're not they're not lawnmower engines you have to pedal okay uh they're pedal assist lawnmowers yeah let's, let's just be clear on that it's way different okay. than a normal lawnmower you have to pedal so who would you say name like two or three of the biggest sort of people making non motor having mountain bikes uh who are the two or three biggest companies that were on the showroom floor today uh, so companies that we were looking at, non-motor having companies that we were looking at, uh, Pivot is there. They're one of the only actual bike producing non-pedal or non-motor having uh, companies that we see on the floor. Uh, we rode their 5.5, Mach 5.5 at the demo on Monday, and that's a pretty fun bike. Uh, other than that, on the uh, showroom floor, so not talking about the yeah, demo, yeah. but today. On the showroom floor, uh, there's KHS, uh, Bulls. No, well, Bulls is mostly motor-having these days. Um, some nice motor-having bikes, but... Uh, wow, you're stalling out. I'm yep. stalling out. Yeah. So anyway, that that's the thing. I mean, in terms of e-commuter bikes there's a ton of them and like that's cool but for those of you who would be coming to interbike to look at what was going on from 
mountain bike manufacturers? Short answer is not so much. S&M was there. They don't make mountain bikes. They make pretty nice BMX bikes. Okay. Uh, They were next to the scooters. There's a lot of non-motor-having scooters. So we're going to get back to the showroom floor, but let's back up for a second. The last two days, we were at the outdoor demo. Yeah. Um, I may or may not have been pedaling around in a neck brace, but I was wearing a helmet. He was being very safe. He didn't turn his head even once. (laughs) While crossing roads? Yeah. Anyway, moving on quickly. Um, from the outdoor demo, Noah, what were one of the, like, one or two most interesting things you were riding? Yeah, so before we get to that, Jonathan was pedaling around in a full neck brace. He wasn't able to look around anywhere. It was hazardous, but in case Jonathan's doctor is listening to this, I just want you to know he was very safe about it. I watched out for him. I let him know if anybody was coming in a cross-traffic direction, and he didn't fall over more than twice (laughs) and so uh back to your question uh brands that we rode like i said we rode a pivot mach 5.5 uh pretty fun bike uh 27.5 wheels with some like mid fat tires whatever you want to call 2.6s but the interesting bikes the most interesting bikes that we rode at this demo uh first we rode a zeroed tanifa that is not how it's spelled, but that is how it's pronounced. And it's got a gearbox, uh, pretty weird bike in terms of shifting, no derailleur, no cassette, all internal gearbox stuff with a grip shift. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a different riding experience. So back up just a second. First of all, Zeroed, in case people don't know, this is a company out of... New Zealand. Out of New Zealand. And what's the big deal about this gearbox? Well, Zero's been doing gearbox, internally geared bikes for quite a while. They started kind of on the downhill side of things, but now this Tanifa is more of like a trail bike, so it's meant to actually go uphill. That's a new thing, relatively new thing for Zero. And it's pretty interesting. Uh, We're going to write a bit more about it, so without wading into all the nitty-gritty technical details, the long and short of it is that it's super low maintenance because you don't have a derailleur, you don't have any kind of exposed drivetrain, you've got a bunch of gears that are all mangled up in this little box that's clustered around the bottom bracket, and uh, it's, it's a pretty clean design. Downsides are... A, you're dealing with a grip shift that I haven't ridden a grip shift since, like, the 90s. Uh, And it it doesn't shift all that cleanly under load. So it takes a little getting used to, and it takes some practice in in how to shift it. The upsides are you can shift without pedaling. You can shift just sitting there on the bike uh, without spinning the pedals. And so once you kind of figure it out there's some huge upsides there and the other upside is that you don't have a drives train hanging off your bike so it's super clean it's super quiet and there's way way less unsprung mass on the rear end of the bike and without getting into all the physics and forces and momentum arguments it basically just means the suspension works really really well 
And that's the first thing that was immediately obvious in my relatively short amount of time on this bike. So that was a pretty interesting one. The other interesting one that we rode was the Marin Wolf Ridge. Uh, honestly, Marin isn't a company that I really think of when it comes to leading edge, interesting suspension designs, but uh, they've got this new Wolf Ridge. It's using a suspension design that's also being used by Polygon. So we saw some pretty good results on the Polygon bikes in the World Cup downhill season. But uh, yeah, it's got this kind of crazy multiple pivot with a, a telescoping shaft design. And the long and short of it is that it has a fair amount of travel. It has, a I think, 180 millimeters of travel but it has more like trail bike angles so it it rides like a in in terms of stability and maneuverability it rides like a shorter travel bike but in terms of bump sucking abilities it rides like it has 180 millimeter travel because it has a lot of travel <laughs> fair enough um okay so those were a couple of the highlights from the outdoor demo what were a couple of the things you saw that was most noteworthy from the showroom floor today? So, well, we talked about e-bikes a little bit. That was pretty noteworthy. Of, of particular note, if you want to go hunting <laughs> on an e-bike, particularly hunting on an e-fat bike, then you have quite a few options this is like the golden era like if if that's what you are about yeah. there's never been a better time to be alive yeah i think road bikes mountain bikes commuters gravel grinders all of that i think is on the downslope <laughs> yep <laughs> e hunting fat bikes that is like we have i don't i don't know if we're at the pinnacle yet because we yeah. have to wait a year maybe to see what happens next year because yeah we can only realistically go up from where we are but there's there's a lot of pretty hot options in the camouflage bike market you took today picture you we were we were sort of joking about doing a photo gallery of all the e hunting fat bikes wait we were joking <laughs> and i think you got to at least like 10 or 11 or 12 photos from like different companies literally every direction i pointed my camera like i was just like taking a picture of like some random person walking in front of me and there it is there's an e camouflage fat bike in the background i mean now, it's, it's almost impossible to not take a picture of a camouflage fat bike at this show so one it's crazy that apparently as of today this is a thing in the world the e the e camouflage wait hunting. you weren't aware of this i was not it's been a huge thing since august <laughs> But the other thing here is we really were perplexed. Like, let's say you are at a big e-hunting fat bike guy and you go out into the woods. Wait, you're not an e, like a huge e-hunting No, I'm not. But like, let's say you are and you go out and you, you, you know, get your game but you laid your camouflage bike down somewhere. Like, you will never find that thing again. Yeah, that's why there's so many of them. Anyway, seriously, the point is, if you try to be on top of the trends, 
this we can't stress this enough this is the trend that you need to know about and so you can tell all your buddies at the pub uh that this is the next thing apparently um so if that is clearly the noteworthy trend of this center bike let's move on to some like interesting specific products that you saw that maybe aren't camouflage or fat bike or e-fat bikes I mean, the nice thing about e-camouflage fat bikes is that you can put other products on them. True. So you could put, for instance, uh, a nice new coil ribbon fork from MRP. It's pretty sweet. I haven't ridden it yet, so maybe that's a bit ahead of the game. But they've uh, 10 years ago, everything moved from coil to air forks. Now we're moving back. More people are riding coil because they've realized that they're a little more supple. They they ride nice over small bumps. So MRP has got a new fork that's a coil fork. Uh, I think X-Fusion has some stuff as well. I need to go peruse their booth a little more thoroughly. But all of these forks, luckily, will fit on your e-camouflage fat bike. Sick. And so after you've tagged that buck and you've lost your bike, you can leave your nice nice new fork to rust out in the wilderness while you walk your ass back to your car with your 300 pounds of meat yeah. that you've just gutted in the woods. This is, the, this is your future, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if, you're, if you're a real mountain biker or something. Next year, <clears throat> I predict, e-camouflage cargo bikes. Uh to haul your buck back uh. so at least you know you'll think it's a good idea when before you lose your bike in the woods because yeah. it's still camouflage um any other specific items uh there's a few odds and ends that are marginally interesting nothing honestly that's super groundbreaking the general sense that i've gotten from companies is Interbike slash this time of year is not really the time that they're debuting new and exciting pro products. So there's been a few companies that have mentioned that there might be something exciting coming next spring. They they tend to name drop Sea Otter. So yeah. uh, maybe this is wrapping back around to are we putting the nail in Interbike's coffin? I'm not sure if we're there yet, but it sure seems like as far as new product releases, uh, nobody's doing it in mid-September. Yeah. So, I mean, that obviously begs a pretty important question. Like, do we, I mean, if we were running Interbike, should we just aggressively be looking to pick a different date? Like, how about let's not do it in mid-September? Well, and, and you've got trade shows like Eurobike that was a couple weeks before Interbike, and now it sounds like they're moving to sometime in July, so they're moving even earlier. And I think it really comes down to there is no perfect time of year to do these things. There's different companies have different product cycles, and different companies release new products at different times of the year. And it depends. The component manufacturers are coming out at products at one time of year because they need to have products ready to go on the next year's bikes. And then the bike manufacturers are coming out with products at a different time of year. And then there's bike manufacturers that have no 
coherent timeline and they come out with new bikes when they're ready to come out with new bikes yeah which honestly makes a lot of sense um so yeah it's a huge mess and <laughs> i uh <laughs> i sure wouldn't want to be the one that was scheduling a trade show around this crap so um kudos out to whoever runs interbike because they have a thankless and terrible job. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, it seems like we found a, a, a good place to stop. Um, and we are going to try to get some sleep before going and digging around on the showroom floor a bit more tomorrow. Um, and we will soon start reporting on some more of the things that we've seen. So check the website for that. Um, but I think we call that good, Noah. Yeah, we'll have a gallery of literally hundreds of pictures of e-camouflage. E-camouflage hunting fat, fat bikes. bikes. Yep. Yeah. We need to come up with the cool acronym for that. But uh, maybe maybe that's something to think on uh, after the podcast here. This is Blister's hard-hitting coverage of Interbike. <laughs> yep. Um, have fun. We'll talk to you guys later. Uh, we're going to think of some acronyms. Bye-bye. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Noah for the conversation and to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob. Till next time, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and don't forget to become a Blister member to ensure that you'll get your copy of our upcoming 1718 Winter Buyer's Guide. Plus, get access to all of the flash reviews and deep dive comparison articles we publish on Blister and get access to all of those exclusive deals we set up for Blister members. Thanks, and we will talk to you next time.